Hello and welcome to Socialist Think Tank. I'm Laura Daly and this is The Social Ties. Hello and welcome back to The Social Ties. I'm so excited to be back with you all. Um, it's been a long time coming and we've got a blind of a show for you today. Um, I'm joined today by the wonderful Gary Mutimer. I'm so excited to for him to share his story with you and what, what his organisation is all about. Um, Gary, hello. Thank you for joining us. Hello, how are you? I am well, I'm well. I'm so excited Good. to be here. Um, fellow Sunderland lad. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for the invite. It's always good to spread, spread uh, the Macam Mac yeah. word. Macam solidarity. I love it. it. <laughs> Gary, okay, <laughs> so let's just start by, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what the project is? Obviously, we're trying to get your message out. We don't know what it's called, what it's about, what you do. So just tell us a bit about yourself and what, what this project is. Okay, cool. Thank you. So I'll start at the top. So progress over perfection, or POP for short, because we're lazy and we can't be able to say it all the time, is essentially a suicide prevention organisation. And what we do is we look at prevention and intervention. So prevention. What that means is um, we will pay for people to have private therapy with qualified mental health professionals, such as counsellors, therapists, psychologists, and so on. Now, we know for a fact that in the NHS, there's a massive waiting list for people to be seen. I know this because I've been through it myself. And I'll explain a little bit more shortly about that. So we look at prevention and we look at then stopping people from taking their lives. We look at intervention by then trying to minimise what's caused them to have mental health issues in the first place. And that could be financial employment, relationships, grief, the list could be endless. It could be historic. So we work with other kicks and non-for-profits and we interlink with them. So for example, if we took a gentleman and a gentleman a gentleman um, was unemployed, had no money, so on and so on, one, one of the things that we would do is if he needs therapy, we'd get him in for therapy. But we'd pass them on to also we'd introduce him, I say pass them on, um, we'd introduce him to say suitability, who will then suit and booted employability training. We'll also send them down to SB Barburn Academy, you'll give him a coffee, a haircut, and a beard trim for free. So if you start feeling good, so if you start looking good, you slowly start feeling good. But we'll help them back into employment. So we're not only doing therapy, we're looking at around them and what we can help them there. So where did progress over perfection come from? Well, I have to go back to 2016, I think. So I was 39 years old. I'm 45 now. The beard gives it away. It's grey. It's uh, distinguished. <laughs> Depends how you look at it. Um, but I was 39 years old, and I was very fit. So I was 39, I was 15 stone, and I was carrying 16% body fat. I've never smoked and I drink with in moderation. Very rarely have alcohol, even then. And I was diagnosed with stage two kidney cancer and a heart condition called aortic stenosis. Now, the kidney cancer came as a 
came completely out of the blue. I was just at the gym one day with my friend who's got a kick in Sunderland, who's got a youth organisation. We were sparring. I was caught and I passed a bit of blood. And I just thought, I've got kidney stones or something or a water infection. And after a little bit of investigation, sure enough, I was diagnosed with cancer. The heart condition was a complete blindsider. That completely took me by shock. Never knew. I've ne- There was nothing about me that could indicate that I had a heart condition. So I could go to the gym. And at the time, like I said, I was 15 stone, carrying 6% body fat. I was really fit, playing rugby, stuff like this. And... The only time I could go and have a great workout in the gym, I could have a, you know, I could, I don't know, really do a, a hard, heavy calisthenic session. And then I'd walk up the stairs and I'd be out of breath. It was weird. You couldn't even, couldn't, thingy. So to cut long story short, at the end of 2016, I had the kidney been removed. And that was, a, it was an eight centimeter tumor. So I was very lucky at the way it was presented. Because if that's say, you can't really see it because we're on camera, but it was down the left side, which is the right for you, left for me. But, the, the tumour was on the outside. If it was on the inside, it would have spread like wildfire. So I was extremely lucky. And I was lucky to have it caught when it did. Just by purely having that gym session. Now, when they removed the, the kidney, what they didn't do is they didn't remove all the air that came with it. So I was rushed back into hospital a few days after being discharged. And my body was shutting down. What that did is that then deteriorated. I didn't notice at the time. So with aortic stenosis, it's a, I was born with a bicuspid valve. And what that, so I didn't have a clue with any of this. This was like all just noise to me. So my partner, she's a consultant in the hospital, a clinical psychologist. That's what I know about mental health services quite well. And I had a crash course in what aortic stenosis was. And in fact, I had an 18-page PowerPoint presentation about it because I didn't have a clue. Um, but... So I was born with a bicuspid valve, and a lot of people are born with this. The best way to – lately, there was a, a footballer called something Ericsson, and he collapsed on the pitch having a heart attack. Can't remember his first name. I'm not big bothered about football. Um, he was born with a bicuspid valve, and he had aortic stenosis. And because he was the same as me, because he was so fit, yet asymptomatic – now, that, and a lot of people have this, and we, 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 ra- we raise quite a lot of awareness about that. Um, so what happened was, because of the t- deterioration around the, um, the air but still being in, in the system, my heart, my heart deteriorated, and I developed cardiomyopathy, and then an aortic aneurysm. And at that point, I was only given 10 days left to live. So what I'll do is I'll, at some point, I'll share some pictures over and you'll see some of the outcome of that. Now, when you're, so I had to, now I live in Newcastle, I was rushed. So I actually collapsed in, so at the time I was having blackouts and I didn't tell anybody, I kept it quiet. And then I was at my mum and dad's in Sunderland, in Ford Estate. And I went, I was having tea and I blacked out. Now, the one thing about mums and dads, the snitches, and they snitched and said that. So they they told my partner Sarah, and she took me straight to the hospital, and that's when we discovered the aneurysm was as bad as what it is. And they said, if we don't do surgery, you'll not be here in ten days. I can guarantee that. So they wanted a they they were going to try and get me into the Freeman. So this was at Cramlington. There was no beds in the Freeman, so they wanted to get me down to um, James Cook, 
but I wasn't well enough to move. And at one point they thought, because I was having loads of back pain, they thought my um, aneurysm had burst. So it was all panic stations. Well, I wasn't, to be fair, I never panicked. So I never, I wasn't panicking. Everyone else was panicking. Let other people panic, it's fine. <laughs> you know, just relax. Um, but they blue lighted me down. A few days later after that, they blue lighted me down to James Cook and I had surgery. But this is where my trouble really began. So all my life, up until 39 years old, no episodes with depression, anxiety, mental health, nothing. Absolutely fine. And one of the things we do with POP, Progress Over Perfection, is we educate. And we educate people to say that depression, anxiety, or anything, any mental health-related issue can start at any time in your life. So you've got to be grateful for where you're at and appreciative that things can change in a heartbeat because they literally can. And this is what happened to me. Now, when, when I was in the hospital, for, for argument's sake, um, when I was down at James Cook, I was approached by the, the medical staff and the, I'm laughing because it's not even funny. It's not funny, but I can't, every time I laugh, I, think I just laugh. <laughs> so there was a, a professor, he was a cardiologist, and he sat on the end of my bed and he said, right, Gary, you are going to do the surgery tomorrow. And he started yawning. And he goes, oh, don't worry, I won't be tired. I'll make sure I get a good night's sleep. And I said, well, I hope you do. I said, because, so I, I said, well, it doesn't really matter if you get a good night's sleep or not. You know why? I said, it's because you're not doing the surgery. What now? He, so you've got to remember, he's a professor and he's got all these junior doctors and the sister with him. They're all looking at all these eyes are staring. And he said that he said what? And I said, well, stay up all night for me. You're not doing the surgery. You can forget it. He said, well, what do you mean? I says, well, at what point am I going to give you the keys to my health? He says, I beg your pardon. I says, well, I don't know yet. I said, so what? I said, it's eleven hour surgery. He says, yeah. I says, well, I give you my bank card. I'm a pin number and say, look after this for 11 hours and give me back as you find it. Don't touch anything. I wouldn't do that to a complete stranger. I said, so my health is the biggest thing I've got. So what point am I going to give that to you without any backup or any due diligence or anything like this? And it was just silence. And I said, so until you show me your qualifications, your CP, your pass rate, more importantly, the failure rate, nobody's going near me. I said, I said, that's my prerogative. And I said, I'm not being arrogant because I'm not an arrogant person. I said, I'm not being rude because I'm not a rude person. I said, I'm not even being ignorant. I said, it's the fact is that this is all I have. Down to you. In his defense, he came back about an hour and a half later with all his CBs and everything. And I was like, oh my God. And he was, he was all right. He was good. And he was like, he goes, you're the first person that's ever asked that. And I was like, I was like, thank God for that. But, but this is where the, the issues around depression and mental health started. So this was all around about the Christmas time of 2017 at that point. What happened was I came out of hospital and I was in recovery. And because I was losing my business, because I couldn't work and I couldn't pay bills, I had to go bankrupt in the early January. Now, a lot of people, if you talk in society, especially in today's day and age, they really shy away from the term bankruptcy. Oh, no, you can't talk about that. Well, you can't talk about this. Well, you can talk about it because it happens. You can acknowledge it because it happens. And it's actually all right. So when I say only, I went bankrupt for, for about £21,000. Now, that's a lot of money. But it was a business and it wasn't individuals that I was going bank, bankrupt against. So it was 
oh, you know, you've got to put into context. The staff at the time couldn't get their, the wages paid because, you know, I couldn't get to work and do stuff, you know, so I was in the depression really kicked in. And what had happened was we'd been down the, um, been down the beach in Tymouth and I had a big meltdown on the beach. This is when I really realised that I, I was really rude to, there was a big guy walking towards me and I was just rude to him. I mean, to be fair, he could have just picked me up, chucked me in the water or, or slapped me into next week and brought me back again. And I would have deserved it. I was, if I ever saw him again, I'd love to apologise to him. It was absolutely awful. But Sarah said to me, she goes, you've not been well for some time. And that's when I realised that I am not well. And it was like a realisation. It was like a light bulb moment. I was under the misconception. And funny enough, I was only talking about this this morning. I was under the misconception that if you've got depression, you can't eat and you can't sleep and you can't concentrate and you can't do that. Well, I was sleeping for eight or nine hours and I was eating for England. It's not like, you know, different people are different ways coping with it. A few days later, around about that time, so that was in the January, the January to the March, I attempted suicide on four different occasions. Very open about this. I, I don't, it's not something, it's not something I, I brag about. It's something I acknowledge and I speak to people that if I can talk about this and I'm a shy person, I'm a private person. I'm not shy. I'm just a private person. And I can talk about bankruptcy and I can talk about being your rock bottom. Then you can, you can achieve and talk about anything you need to. So I attempted suicide by taking all the tablets under the sun. So I, every day now, I take um, medication called Aramipril and Bisopropol. Once to slow your heart rate down, once to lower your blood pressure. But I also take Warfarin because I've got a mechanical valve in. So on this mic, you might pick up the odd tick. And that's my, my valve ticking, so apologies. It just means I'm crap at hide and seek. I can't help it. But so I took a, all my tablets and a lot of codeine. And Sarah at the time was up in Glasgow on some course, a neuro psych, psychology course or something. I don't know. I don't fully understand it. Anyway, my melting somebody up there in Glasgow. But um, I woke up the next morning with a severe hangover. I didn't, I didn't drink any alcohol, by the way. I drank water. And I woke up the next morning and I'm still here. I'm like, I shouldn't be here. Then I attempted, because I live at the back of the A19. I attempted to walk out in front of a truck, and I'm still here. Then I attempted to walk out in front of a metro train, and I'm still here. And then I disappeared for a, few, a good half a day, or well, a couple of days in total, really, and I'm still here. Now, I'm, very, I'm not being flippant about this when I'm saying it. What drove me to my depression and my lowest point was failure. I'd failed my life. I'd failed to pay staff. I'd become bankrupt, big stigma around that at the time. Um, I just failed at everything, essentially. And then, and this is why, I, funny, I give, I give a lot of talks to doctors and nurses now about being a patient in the NHS. And I, I, I always laugh about this, but it's not even funny, but it's just true, is that I've got, I've got suicidal depression. I'm trying to commit suicide because failure has joined me there and I can't even bloody commit suicide. I am useless. Oh, my God. I am absolutely shocking. I can't even bloody commit suicide. I am crap. It's, but it's true. It's like, oh, my God, Gary, you're that crap. You can't even commit suicide. Anyway. So what that does is that just means you've only got one option and that's to 
land on your bounce, hit the floor as hard as you can, which you are doing, but bounce back on your own two feet and re- press the reset button and go again. So I, I went off, I went to a cardiology appointment and just by chance, the cardiology nurse just went, are you okay? I was like, no, I'm not. And I just, everything just came out. And in his defense, the next day, he got me in with a health psychologist who's a consultant over at North Tyneside Hospital. Now, my issues were around failure and all this, but I lived with a consultant psychologist. The six degrees of separation, they know each other. You can't even have a private bloody conversation. It's like, oh, my God, another one I'm going grey. Ah, whatever. Um, so my recovery started then, and it was a slow process. And I'm a, I've always been a keen hiker. So now I go back, I've gone back to hiking, climbing. I meditate, something I never did before, just to try and calm your brain down. And I still do. I, in fact, I'm, I'm, the irony is I'm meditating in a few days, but you meditate to bring a balance. Now, in it's coming to three years, yeah, yeah. Is it two years? Well, just say two years ago. So I can't actually remember. I think it's two years ago. My um, my auntie was diagnosed with a brain tumour in the January. And she lost her life on April the 1st. And it was heartbreaking. Now, this is down in Bristol. And her two sons and their partners and their grandkids were absolutely devastated, as you can imagine. So my uncle, which is my mum's brother, six months to the day, he commits suicide. And that was purely around um, grief and heartache, stuff like that. So what that put me in a, a really weird position because I was now, you know, not something I'm proud of, but I could then sit on the fence and I can see it from both sides of the fence, what it's like to want, no, not want to be here, try and kill yourself, what that would look like the fallout or what that looks like on from a family point of view so i've kind of got this yeah just this you can just see from both sides and that really impacted on me because i saw how my mother was i saw how my two cousins were it was just uh, even now i'm like it's just it's awful and they've still got you know they'll probably see this and they'll be the first to admit it's left a hollow hole for them massively do you know what i mean and they're two fantastic guys as well. And they've got great partners and great kids. But this set us on the road to create progress over perfection, lived experience, witnessing it. And this is not just me. This, so when we talk about progress over perfection, there's four of us involved in it. There's myself, Louise Richardson, who's my cousin, Louise Chambers, who's a friend, and Michael Brocken, who's also a friend. Now, me and Mick go back since we were been friends since we were about 14 and I've known Louise for quite some time Chambers now them two are based in Preston me and Louise Richardson we're over here in the northeast so we all put our thinking caps on we all share the same passion and it's not about so when we talk about pop pop is not about me it's not even about them it's not about you as an individual it's about a collective of everybody together and everybody is a part of pop and Instagram's the probably the best, the best one for using an analogy. If you go on Instagram, 
it's just saying because I'm a man, I can talk about it. I can't. I can never talk about it what it's like from a woman's point of view because I'm not a woman, so it, it'd be wrong to do that. But from a man's point of view, you go on there and you see a, you're looking at fitness stuff and you see blokes with the tops off, chiselled bodies and perfect teeth and hair, and you're like, oh my good grief, get a grip. So what we say is that's wrong because that's just steroids. They've had their teeth done. They've got fake hand. That's not real money. And the card have hired it for a day. It's all a load of rubbish. I know you swore then. It's all a load of absolute bollocks. It's then probably about 80 to 80, sorry, about 80 to 90% of what you'll see on Instagram is a load of bollocks. What you see on um, Facebook, again, is a load of bollocks. And I can prove it. So I've got a, a cousin, me and Louise Richardson, I've got a cousin. He's in Australia. He's a really good looking lad. He's got a beautiful wife, great kids. He's a, I want to say a charge nurse in the A&E department. He grew up, so you're from Sunderland, you'll know this. He grew up when the old Doxford Park, where uh, the prefab houses, and it was run down and it was windswept and not very interesting. Okay. And it was literally poverty heaven. You know, it was, I remember being with him and his mum walking around Asda when this before smartphones was a thing, so old I am. Um, and she had a calculator marking up her what a bill was going to be. Nobody should have to witness that. He's now got this great life in Australia and he's always on the beach with his dog and it looks great. But when you speak to him, he'll tell you that he's got really bad anxiety. He gets really worried that he's going to turn out like what his dad was and not provide and not do this and he, he has imposter syndrome and see what i mean social media looks great but it isn't great so we said right we want to create a kick we want to help people and what do we want to do with that help so we want to make sure to get the therapy they need so i know talking to my partner and i know because at the time so i, I missed a bit out when i was poorly i went and got sertraline which is um antidepressive and yeah, it's great. But what you need to remember with antidepressives is they're just putting a plaster on the situation. It's a short-term fix to a long-term problem. So I was on a talking therapies for 18 months on a waiting list. In that time, I tried to commit suicide four times. When they did ring me, which was like once every six months, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I could tell you anything, really, let's be fair. So he said, well, what we'll do is we'll try and break down that barrier of the waiting time so we know in private practice for psychologists it costs people 150 pound an hour that's frightening the average person cannot afford that bi-monthly never mind weekly so what does that do that excludes a large part of the population essentially so what we said is, right, what we'll do is we'll interject with this and we'll pay for people to go and have therapy. We'll link up with mental health qualified professionals, such as psychologists, therapists, counsellors, and so on. And we'll pay for them to have a series of, um, series of sessions. So, for example, you could come into service, we'll have a chat, we'll do an initial assessment. Then we would kind of look and say, right, we're going to put you in with, um, I don't know, Joe Blogs and Joe Blogs will give you an initial six sessions. Now that doesn't mean that that six sessions is going to. That's it. What it is, that's just for them to. They do an initial assessment, which is the initial one. Then they do the six. We meet with them just to get an update. How you doing? 
what it looks like. We don't talk about what's happened to you, what you've discussed. Um, how are you doing? And they might say, do you know what? Laura's doing really well. She's good, but she needs another 10 sessions or she needs another 20 sessions or she doesn't need any more. Just so we can then put the finances in place to make sure that that's covered. And, and in the meantime, we then work with you away from that to then discover what would you need to then, away from therapy, what would you need to maintain that lifestyle of a, of a balance so your mental health is okay? And it might be that you need to, you know, a job or you might need financial support or advice or housing advice. We'll look at all that and we work with partners to bring that in. So that's what we do on a, on a day-to-day basis. And that's, where we're, and that's how we got to where we are. Now, we were reached out. Well, I was, I was contacted um, by one of the other directors about Paige, Paige Hunter. And I was just blown away. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. I was like, what? is that for real? Is that actually for real? So I reached out to Paige and I said, I'm Gary. I'm just a normal bloke, but I've got pop. I want to talk to you because I want to potentially help you. Because the one thing you cannot have in, is you can't have this. You can't have, we'll just take Paige because she's only a young girl. She's only in her early 20s. You cannot have a young woman who's feeling intimidated, understressed, yeah, sorry, in distress, um, the loss of empowerment and put into a pigeonhole like that and a police cell. And then be dealing with two two big police officers. No, no females to be police officers. And now she's got all this worry and anxiety. You can't have that. Now, that's disgusting. Now, when I'm talking about this, I'm a fan of the police. I believe they've got a difficult job. They've got a hard job in trying trying times. But I'm not a fan of the system. The system is broken. And that's not the default of the individual officers. And that's not the default of the, the crisis team. That's not the fault of any one individual it's a system-wide they're, they're following their protocols and i get that i've got protocols i need to follow don't agree with them but i'll challenge them because i can because i'm a business owner so i can challenge what i want she can't she's 24 years old she's just a cog in that system so myself and the other directors we're all very passionate people we can be a bit um fiery with it i guess i suppose that's uh, yeah yeah, it doesn't matter. If it, if it upsets, it upsets. But the aim is to help people. So we said, Paige, we're going to help you. We'll fight your corner. We'll take it head on and we'll support you on court and we'll start a campaign. Now, this campaign isn't to directly go after individuals. It's to go after the system. And what's happened to Paige could happen to me. It could happen to you. It could happen to anybody that watches this. Okay? That you're obstructing. Now, the police are just going off what they've been told, but the police have said that she's faking it. Now, now this is a bit that blows my mind. At what point? So I'm so hear me out on this. I've got a a kick that works within mental health. And we offer people therapy and we do interventions, like I've said, and all this. I am not a mental health qualified professional. I don't pretend to be one. I don't claim to be one. I know them, so I go to them but I'm not one. I tell people that all the time. I'm not in a position to say whether you, as an individual, I've got issues around mental health or not. That's not for me to do. I can't make that judgment, and why would I? 
So if I can't make that judgment and I've got a kick that works in mental health, what point, what, at what point is an officer or what part has an officer got the right to say that to her? And how, how unvalidating is that? You know? So that needs to change. And we're going to change it. I don't care. I don't care who I have to go up against for this. I've got a big mouth and I'll just keep going and going until one day to get sick of it and say, God, someone give that Carl Pilkington a rest while he's going on. So we start the camp. We started the camp we've, with a campaign. You've got to start as a tease campaign and slowly build it, stuff like that. So we've started the tease campaign. We're going to support Paige all the way through to court, even to the point if we've got to stand in court and tell the judge that we're working with it because we will be, we can prove it, we can, you know, we can have that validated, no problem, and show what the good work that that girl's actually done. She's done some amazing, amazing work for mental health awareness. She's done some fantastic stuff. And when you meet her, she's actually a really nice, really nice person. She's just a lovely girl. She's nice. She's, yeah. she's, she's very, um, what's the word? She's very creative because she's a really good artist. You know, mm. and she's just extremely down to earth. And what you, what I like about her is a raw, a raw honesty. Yeah. You know, and and for for any of our listeners who who aren't aware of who Paige is, can you just tell us a little bit? I know it's her story to tell, so we won't go into too much detail. But um, I'm aware of her. I think for me, I think she's an absolute hero. I th- like she's quite famous in Sunderland circles. She's she's been incredible, and the situation she now finds herself in, I find absolutely disgusting and mm. i was really shocked when i when i found out about it can you just enlighten our listeners a little bit about about page so i'll just give you the, the bullet points because you know it's 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 a story that i want page to be able to stand on a platform and, and share for herself and she deserves and deservedly and rightly so she does needs to do that so page was living in temporary accommodation she became suicidal the crisis team were called they had a five-minute conversation with her. She told them they were fine because she wanted rid of them. She, and they, they, and this is her her view on it. They essentially brushed her off and didn't really take her very serious. She then left that that sheltered accommodation, walked to the bridge, and attempted suicide on the bridge. Now, the police then arrested her, put her in a police car, and took her down to police stations. And they've charged her with obstruction and being in a public nuisance or whatever the actual term is. I can't remember it. I only said it this morning. I can't remember it. That's because I'm getting old. Anyway, but that's what they've charged her with. And she's got a court date on July the 31st at Newcastle Crown Court. Now, we're working. He's going to be watching this. And we're working with another lad. I'm not going to give his name because I'm going to let him find the page and comment himself because he, he will. But we're, we're working with it. A, a guy from Sunderland. Love. It's just a. It's just again. It's just a genuine. Like Page is a genuine human being, who's asking for help. That's it. Do you know what I mean? He tried to hang himself on the bridge, and he's he's literally just getting discharged from hospital today. But he's got to go into a care home because he needs further support, physical support. So we're gonna we're gonna work with him, and he came across me. He messaged me the other day, going, "Have you seen this about Paige? Have you seen this?" I was like, "I didn't even I, I never told him that we we were working with Paige." And he goes, "Have you seen this? This is disgusting. We need to do something. Get uh, get me in contact with her. I'm gonna fight this corner." I was like, "Oh my god, right? We're already working with her. Are we? Brilliant. 
what do we need to do? When we're going to do it? I was like, well, first, you need to get yourself physically better. You're in hospital. So you need to get yourself on a level playing field where you then can take on other stuff and just leave it to us for the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want to do it now. No, no, no. Chill your beans. Oh, my God. But this shows, like you said yourself, you read and you're like, what? He's read and gone, eh? Something needs to be done about this. And you can see the level of support. Stone what people are commenting when you see on social media, what needs, what people's genuine feelings are with this. So, so what I've said to, to Paige, and I'm, I'm very open about this, I'm not doing this at all to, um, to bolster the, the, the shouting about what Pop does, okay? This is purely about Paige. It's about getting that story told. It's getting people aware, really aware of it. And then collectively, we ask and demand a system change, okay? The reason Pop's, we're using Pop is because Pop's then got the connections and the mechanisms to help push that. Pop in its own, in, it, in time, will, you know, that'll do its own promotion and stuff like this for its own stuff. But this is about Paige. This is about making sure Paige is one, is in a, a psychological safe, safe place with, peer, with peers around her, making sure she's validated with that it's made sure she's got emotional support and then collectively we fight for change and because Paige is you know and you've got to remember she's she's not been well but generally she's a confident young woman and she's not scared to get on camera and talk and she's not scared to put herself out there and even though she knows there's idiots out there on social media that will give you the criticism and all that that's just because we live in a, a self-entitled um, society but Paige is going out there and she's fighting that corner herself and we're going to then be the ones that push her in in for that and what I'm going to do well not just me what the, the director is going to do we're going to use the the power we have at Pop to push that even further and have the conversations with her alongside her there's people out there today and they'll be watching this and they will be in some dark place. I understand that. And I, I, hate to, I hate to even acknowledge it because it's true and it's out there. I've been in that dark place more than on, one, on more than one occasion. I've attempted suicide. I'm that crap that I even failed at suicide. Okay, that's why I'm still here. Now, I'm still here and I'm not a religious person, but I'm still here and I'm still here for a reason. So we created pop to help people like you and me and them. Okay. You might be down, but as you go down, you're only going to hit so far and you've got to come back up. So with that, you come back up bigger, better and stronger. And we're always united together. I say this all the time because when I had cancer, I wasn't scared. When I had a heart condition and I had the 10 days left to live, I was not scared. So you fear nothing and you fight absolutely everything. And that's why we created Progress Over Perfection to help people like you, me, and them collectively. That's absolutely, just Gary, that's incredible. I just, these stories, uh, this is why I love this show because it's, you've taken something that was just so tragic and such a difficult situation and you're right it isn't something that gets talked about anywhere near enough and you've turned that into such a positive and something that is going to be such a positive step for other people 
And, you know, it, uh, on Socialist Think Tank, we're very much believers that if you can help other people, then do that. And you you live that now every day and your team are living that. And I just think it's it's just incredible. It's just just congratulations and well done for all you do. Thank and you, I know, you know, that dark place. I've I've been there myself and it is a daily process. It's not something that you just are not in anymore. Um, so, you know, I just the greatest amount of respect for for you and the team and everything you do. It's it's Thank you. fantastic. So progress over perfection then. If if people wanted to find out a bit more about you, if people wanted to try and get help from you, how, how would they do that? How would they approach you? So we've got the website. And it's www.popcic.co.uk. We're on all the social media channels. Just put it in. It's uh, Progress Over Perfection 2022, I think it is, or 2021. I don't look after the social media channels, but I have got access to them. So apologies. But you can easily find us on any one of them. The, our email is on the website. You can touch base with us direct. Our inboxes are always open. So if you put a message into the group chat, if I don't see it, one of the other directors will. We're based in the Northeast. Oh, I missed that a little bit. This, this is going to, this is kind of upsetting the apple cart. I quite like it. Okay. So what we've done is we're fundraising at the moment. And what we've got the money we're going to put with is not only we're going to put people into private therapy, we're going to create a listening service in Sunderland. A little bit like the Samaritans, but with a difference. We're then going to have attached to that a rapid response service. So what that means is if somebody calls in and we can find out where they are and if they're at risk, we can get to them straight away until there's police support or the crisis team. Now, that's a lot, but then I thought that's not enough. So we're going to do something a bit more than that. We're in talks with a local authority now to have cameras installed onto the Weymouth Bridge that will put a live feed into our office at St. Peter's. So what that means is that we can have somebody monitoring them cameras. If we see somebody what looks like it's a risk, they can be there and we've timed the, the drive. We can be there in less than a minute. Now, this should, in theory, minimise the whinging of the local authorities around the police, the ambulance service and everyone else that has to go out. Because that costs a lot of money, and I get this, and I'm not, I'm not arguing that point. I fully understand that this costs a lot of resources, financial resources. So Lexus will take the burden on that. And we're not asking for any money off the local authority. We'll do this by drawing funding bids down, fundraising, doing challenges, all kinds, and the money that comes in goes down all of it to that. The only overhead we'll have is the office and the car, or cars, and that's it. We're not taking a salary. We don't want the money. We'd rather all that goes in 100% to make sure everyone else is okay. Yeah, I've got to mention that, and that's a big part. That's a huge part. Oh, my goodness. That is – do you know what? And I, I'm, I'm going to really try and rein myself in and not get on an anti-government rant here because I want this to remain positive. What you're doing is incredible. I do have this strong feeling that these are things that the government should have implemented and should be paying for as mm -hmm. it is a massive priority. And we could talk about the millions of reasons why they're not, but the fact of the matter is they're not. And so the fact that you and people like you are doing this, I just... 
it is so inspiring and and I mean that I absolutely mean that that word gets bandied about far too much but it is really inspirational what you guys are doing and and I think I don't know if it's a bit special because it's where I'm from it's my hometown and you know I know how bad it can get and I know how poverty feeds into that and something Mm -hmm. that you said earlier is, is really deprived in many areas so I imagine you'll get a lot of uptake on this you know and I hope that you continue to grow I hope the need for it continues to shrink um but just Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about what you do. We'll no, share no all problem. the links and all of your website and everything. And you you have an open invite anytime you want to come on and chat to us about anything you're doing. Just let Thank me know. You. Thank you so much to Gary for coming on and talking about um, progress over perfection. It's just been so incredible to hear about all the work you do. Um, I'm, I could talk to you for hours about it. I'm absolutely thrilled you've been able to come on the show today. Um, and as I say, anytime, any more progress that you make please do come on and give us an update and that's it from the social ties today and we'll see you next time we'll keep the red flag flag in here.